Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. So, two episodes in. It's been going well so far, so <laughs> let's keep going. Um, quicker upload here. Last one was a little bit longer, but I'm still kind of getting everything set up, so um, we'll try to get more consistent uploads from here on out. This one is going to be analyzing social media. It's a very prevalent uh, activity in all of our lives going on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, any social media platform. I feel like we're all addicted to at least some extent, so I know this is a topic that will apply to everybody, um, which is why I feel like it's important to talk about it. So let's do that right now, and let me pull up this analysis. I don't have a blog post for this one yet. I might post it up, I might not, but uh, I'll just start with a podcast about it, and um, yeah, and we will see where it goes. So just some general observations on social media. Actually, before I even start, um, thank you guys for the feedback on the last couple episodes, um, and even the parasite analysis, that was that was great, a couple people said they really enjoyed it, and uh I appreciate any of the feedback. Like, thank you guys for that. And we're just started. So whoever's watching right now, you guys are really the day ones. You guys have been here from the start. So, which is why you guys, um, kind of, as I said in the last episode, share it with two people because you guys are the most likely to actually do that because you guys are watching from the start and supporting right away. So yeah, share it with two people. If you like it, as I said in the last one, if you don't like it, don't share it. If you like it, share it with two people. That's how we're going to grow. We're going to do it by word of mouth. Not by any gimmicks, not by uh, not by anything else. Word of mouth and good content are hopefully as good as I can get it. Um, <laughs> even the recording quality on this one, I, I tried to up it, but we'll see. If it's still pretty low, that's just the way it is, and we're going to have to just keep going. So anyways, let's get started on this analysis. So just some general observations about social media. The first thing is that it, I find it so funny that the first thing we now think of is how we're going to share our experiences rather than focusing on the beauty of the experience itself. So it's like we do things almost just to post it because we know in the back of our mind we're going to post it on social media. So um like one, for instance, recently I just went to the Dominican actually, and not many people know this, even my followers, because I didn't post anything about it. Because I was actually trying to make a conscious effort to not post and see like if I could just enjoy the experience without like sharing it with anybody. And I found that so difficult because social media is so addictive and it's you get such reinforcement for sharing. Um, for sharing your experiences and getting likes about it. And I post, hey, Dominican, whatever, I'm gonna get likes, I'm gonna get views to my story. Uh, people are gonna see what I'm doing. People are gonna um, say, oh, I wish I was there, whatever. They're gonna be replying, they're gonna be doing it. So we get so much reinforcement for sharing it now with social media that we do, now it's almost to the point where we're doing stuff just to get this reinforcement. So kind of, yeah, so like I went to the Dominican and I was like, I like I had to physically like stop myself from trying to uh, record things or to like take videos or post pictures about it because man and that's when I realized like I am addicted to social media like I am addicted to the reinforcement that I get from doing these things 
Another thing I did recently that no one knows about. <laughs> it's funny that I'm saying these things now, acting as if I'm so covert. But now here I am sharing, <laughs> sharing all of it. But I recently also went to the Lakers game. I saw LeBron. So that was like a lifetime uh, dream of mine. And uh, seeing him like, and I wanted to post that. I, even, I did actually take videos and I believe I did send it to like a couple of my friends, but like I was gonna post that on social media. Like, oh man, the whole post about like how it was my dream to see LeBron, my favorite player or whatever. But man, it was almost like, it was so fulfilling when I just had moments with myself of not doing anything and just like, I just like, <laughs> it's kind of weird, but like, I'm, for people who know me, like I'm one of the biggest LeBron fans in the world. So he wasn't playing that day, but when he walked into the, like, I didn't think he was even going to be in the arena. So I was so like upset because I was like, man, the only reason I'm seeing the Lakers is to see LeBron in person. So, but when he walked in, I was like, man, there was like a moment of serenity. <laughs> I know people are going to find it weird, but there was like a moment of serenity, like, man, that's like LeBron, like, I'm in the same arena as him. And like, I could have recorded that moment. And yes, I would have had that moment on my phone and I could have shared it with everybody. But to just nod of my phone and to just like, look at LeBron and just like, <laughs> I even like kind of um, <laughs> put a little uh, sign or wave to him or whatever. And I was so in the upper decks, obviously he didn't see me, but man it was just so um it was so fulfilling just to have that moment with myself so um but i digress social media it just causes us to be so um thirsty for this reinforcement and it causes me to be like that it causes just about everyone i know who uses it to be like that why is it like that it's very interesting um there is a new Harvard study that was released in December that talks about um, what I have here is uh, self-disclosure on social networking sites lights up the same part of the brain that also ignites when taking an addictive substance. Um, you know, so it's so like maybe that's why like it's I don't I actually didn't it was just kind of I just quickly read the abstract and I didn't actually jot down what parts of the brain um, it was lighting up but I know that uh, if it is the same part of the brain that ignites an addictive substance I know that there will be for instance likely dopamine being active as like a neurotransmitter um, in terms of the area of the brain I don't know uh, I, I probably should have checked that before starting the episode. But anyways, if we know that uh, self-disclosing on social media causes these same areas to light up um, as if we were taking an addictive substance, then that kind of shows what, maybe why it's so we want to just get reinforced so much. We just, man, when that, that one person likes it or when we get this many likes or this many story views or this many replies, it's like it's like it's an addiction. So there's a very tight like correlation there. And you know, we have to understand that these social media companies have uh, psychologists and neuroscientists who who are working for them at the top levels, and they know how to make these apps addictive. They know, um, like, these are researchers just like the Harvard researchers. The only difference is that these researchers don't work for Harvard. They work for Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and whatnot. So they're kind of, let's say, like, on the dark side of social media research, and they use their insights about how they know it lights up the same areas of the brain they know it's addictive in this way and they apply that to their app so that's why we're so addicted to these things because these companies 
have a leg up on us. Like it's it's hard to, you know, we think we're in control fully of our own behavior, but we don't understand how much our brain is influenced um, just from what we perceive in our environment, you know, and how our behavior is not fully controlled by our environment. There's also genetic factors involved as well, but man, these so like we can easily get hooked on these on these things without us even knowing it. And same with drugs and same with all these things. Like when people are addicted to drugs, you don't think there's ever a time that they say, man, I want to stop this. Like you think they want, like, yes, there might be some people who want to do it every day. They don't even have the self-awareness to want to stop. But you don't think there's people who want to stop every day, but they, their behavior is controlled by this addictive substance. Maybe it's kind of, in, kind of like the Harvard researchers found with the um, same area of the brain. Um, as an addictive substance like maybe it's the case that um, we want to get off social media or whatever we want to do these things or we want to place time limits on our apps but when it says ignore or keep limit we can just click ignore and we keep going and we know we want to kind of stop because we don't like the effects it's giving us but we're controlled and that's what addiction is um, I kind of went off on a tangent there and didn't even really uh Look at some of my notes here, but so, but uh, let's get back to kind of what I have for the notes. Um, so yeah, kind of like we go as far as doing things and going places just to take pictures so others know we were there. It's unbelievable. Like we actually, I think it's gotten to the point where we actually do things not to do it and to get the enjoyment, but to take a pic and to share it. And I'm not calling anybody out on this because I want to do that too. And I do that too, to some extent, you know, that's what your Instagram posts are. That's what all these posts are. It's you at your best, you looking at uh, your best or, or you in your best state, you know, everyone does it. It's very interesting. And we do these things. And how many times have you done something just to get a post out of it? Like, We'll get a good Instagram post. Like these are things we have to fess up to. We all do it. And it's, I find it very interesting. Um, you know, it's almost as if the experience I put is, is hardly valuable. If we don't get at least one picture to, to show to our social media followers, it's so, it's just very uh, mind boggling. You know, we no longer want to operate without reinforcement from others. Um, we do, we don't want to just do things for ourselves. We don't want to, uh, look good for ourselves. We don't want to um, do experiences just to get that uh, inner serenity and inner kind of joy. We want to share it and be reinforced for doing that. So there's this other oriented motivation that's uh, causing us to um, kind of want to be do things for others rather than for ourselves. And this is because of this addictiveness of social media that um, and it's addictive because of the neuroscientists and psychologists who are working there and they know how to make it addictive, you know? Um, so without social media, one may not be as concerned with going on the vacation or even getting the job title to put in their Instagram bio. I know this is a lot about, uh, Instagram and I, I might call it, uh, analysis on social media or maybe just Instagram, but most of these analysis are about Instagram. So, um, so yeah, like, I mean, it's, it is very interesting. Like I already did kind of talk about going on the vacation if we uh, can't get a pick or eat. What about even like a job title or a good position to put in your Instagram bio? Have you ever thought, like, I know everybody thinks like, if I get this certain title, I can put it in my bio. Has there ever been like, 
who these days does something very um, uh, incredible or very uh, prestigious without wanting to put it in their bio? It's like, it's great. Like, I mean, and I, I'm going to, like, I do it too. And, and I'm, I'll do the same stuff. Like, uh, currently I'm actually applying for grad school. And like, one of the things I know is that I'm going to put whatever I'm doing in my bio. That's just something I'm going to do because it shows that this is the stat. This is my status. I'm showing the world this is my status. So like, it's, it, why is it so hard not to put it in my bio? Why is it so hard just to do it to grad school? Not tell anyone and you know, like we want that reinforcement so much from others. And this is not like just because of social media. Like, I think we always have wanted some kind of reinforcement from others. Look at the podcast as a, as an example. Why would I have all these ideas? I mean, yeah, I would never have all these ideas. Make a podcast, record it, and then just watch it for myself. Obviously, I want to share it and I want the reinforcement. So everybody, it's not like social media made us want this reinforcement. It's more of an ingrained human trait that we do want this reinforcement. It's just the idea that social media really preys upon this a lot. And it really makes these things exposed, how much people want reinforcement. Um, and I, <laughs> what I kind of put there was like, to, you would be to the maximum level like you would do stuff just to put it in your bio like that's not the reason i'm going to grad school obviously because it takes an extreme commitment but if you like imagine if someone did that just to put it in their bio i don't know if there's people out there i don't know if there are people who want the reinforcement that much that they'll do stuff just to put it in their bio maybe there are either way we all have to some extent um, are addicted to this reinforcement that we get by posting things on social media. Um, so, but you know, this is not only detrimental. This could be uh, positive in some ways too. Like, I mean, it is detrimental in a sense, as I kind of already was talking about in terms of we do things for non-personal reasons now. We go to the vacation so that we can get it in our bio. But... Um, it could be beneficial too, because maybe the prospect of putting something in your bio is making you want to do that and gain status. And when you have an Instagram, you want to get to a certain status and portray some of these things. So maybe it's actually causing some social facilitation and it's making everyone want to get a leg up on other people in a competitive way. Um, you know, now look at this podcast again as an example of how social media could be positive because um, it seems to help creators exist independently without other perspectives to weigh them down. Like in the past, if I had an idea like this and I wanted to do this show, I would have had to go to all the companies, pitch the thing, have a whole pitch of a whole thing of what I'm going to do for your network, why I'm a valuable employee and you, the production company, you guys know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't have a camera. I don't even know how to operate one. I don't have any of this. How am I going to, I don't know how to operate a mic. I don't know how to set anything up. I mean, create a website we can do now. Like part of the reason I learned how to do that was through like, uh, media and, and, uh, and the internet, for instance. So these are just some of the things that without social media or the internet or advances in technology, we wouldn't even be able to do a lot of the things we're doing right now. So it would be a little bit hypocritical of me to say that 
it's all bad, but here I am uh, advertising my, basically advertising my podcast and uh, the media company on social media. And, uh, you know, so that's positive in that sense. Like we get, creators can exist independently. I don't need a production company. I'm my own producer. I'm my own production company. I can release what I want. If it's bad, no one's going to follow it. If it's good, it's going to, a lot of people are going to listen to the podcast and, and watch the videos. So that in a sense i love about social media that way like um or that thing because it allows you to share content freely and uh that's been great and it's going to be great for the development of this podcast um another observation i made is that instagram is great at tricking us that the norm is unattainable beauty and near perfection you know like, we think the norm, we think this is the, like, for instance, when you see, um, or like what I, in my notes is like about teenage girls, because the rates of depression and anxiety are on the rise for these girls. And I think, well, it's not just me, but I mean, Jonathan Haidt, he researches this. Um, he kind of has the impression, as and many other researchers do, that this is due to social media and these, and um, I don't know if he explained it like it's the unattainable beauty standards, but that's kind of my take on it because, you know, we th- te- these teenage girls might look at all these girls who have had countless plastic surgeries and operations to look a certain way to literally shape their body and curve their body and shape their face and mold, basically turn them into like a, a plastic surgeon's mold or like clay mold, you know, that's how, uh, those are all the operations they had, and that's the reality, but they'll never share that. They don't show them in the operation room or after the surgery or all this. All they show is the final result because they had this money to do this. So when these teenage girls are seeing this, what effects could that have on them, thinking that that's the norm that they have to obtain? And how are they going to obtain that? That's not real. It's not real. The plastic surgeries that a lot of these people have had to make them look that way that's not what they actually look like so the norm for them is this unattainable level of beauty and that could lead to like a lot of pressures to look a certain way and to look uh perfect you know and that's just not the way it is so i think that's certainly an impact um for sure so you know and and i also put like kind of as a more ethical issue like if research is showing that Facebook, which it did, um, leads to temporary happiness for many, but is playing a role in driving many to anxiety, depression, and even suicide, especially teenage girls, as I mentioned, we must question how this is truly helping our our society. Um, It's time to have some serious discussions about these things, um, as well as any new technology, obviously, but if, if the research that's coming out um, on the good side, uh, from the like, for instance, from the Harvard researchers or people who are not working for these companies, and is showing that hey, there's a direct correlation between uh, hours on social media and like anxiety in this population or, or whatever. And the research is is starting to say that. But if we get more and more research that's showing this, um, we have to kind of, I mean, to a certain extent, like, what are you gonna do? Like, is Facebook so powerful that? We won't be able to curb the usage. Like, I mean, it's so accessible. Like these teenage girls, what are we going to say to them? Are we going to say, uh, don't go on, uh, we'll take your phone away? Like, I mean, these things are very futile in a sense because it's so accessible to everyone. And even like young kids these days, I know, um, 
yeah, like I, I, my little brother, for instance, he, well, he, he's actually going into grade 10, but even like younger, he's saying like kids so young have their phones, have like all these things, who knows what impacts that those are going to have. So, but if we figure out through uh, empirical uh, research and gain an understanding that these are not leading to good consequences, is there any way we could possibly like um, slow down uh, how much we're able to access these things or how much the at-risk populations are able to access these things. Um, I put it's similar to how Elon Musk says <laughs> that AI's progress should be curbed because of potential deleterious effects if the technology advances too quickly. So he basically argues that it's going to advance so fast that once the cat is out of the bag, like it's over. So we have to actually slow down our rate of innovation or else we're going to be toast, which... But it's it's kind of the same issue with that. Like, how are we going to do that? How are you going to tell a curious um, engineer or software developer to stop working on his artificial intelligence breakthrough? It's difficult. We humans like to innovate. We like to advance. And it's hard to ask for that. But if the research is showing that there are negative impacts of these things, maybe we have to do something about it, you know? Um so another thing I, I wrote here actually is that uh, the population we see on Instagram in particular, um, first of all, is skewed towards people who have a greater desire to post. And out of those people, what is seen on the explore feed or even on the home feed is what is more desirable to others. So, and even this, what is seen on the explore feed is due to Instagram's algorithms or Twitter's algorithms that's showing you things that it knows you're going to like and you're going to click on and whatever. And it's tracking that. It's funny, like every time you click an Instagram uh, or every time you like an Instagram post, like for instance, from the explore feed or anywhere, if you look closely, look at the top of your, uh, your screen, you'll see a little loading bar. When you like it, it's not loading up that you liked it. That's definitely not what it's doing. What is it's partially doing that to track to put it in your liked page. But what it's really doing is it's taking in your data and it's saying you liked this post and then it keeps accumulating and accumulating all the posts that you liked. And that's how it creates the explore feed. And it knows exactly what you are most likely to like through its algorithms and data. So I just wanted to point that out that it, it means that the highest quality information is not necessarily what's being um, given to us through social media. Excuse me. And it's just whatever the, uh, the algorithm wants to show you. And partially also what the algorithm goes by is what is popular and what has been liked a lot. So, but just because something's liked a lot doesn't mean that that's the highest quality of information. Um, so it's very uh, arbitrary what we are being fed and we are being almost controlled in a sense by that because when we look at it and then th like that's just what you're offered like what if you i mean this became evident to me and my with my different accounts like one for the uh insightful thinkers media and then one for like my personal account like you can see how different the explore feeds are so imagine if every day for Imagine, like, say, just say 12 hours, I was on my Explore feed every day on my um, personal account. And I just went down the feed all day, 12 hours a day. How would that change my behavior compared to if I was on my, um, the Insightful Thinkers Media Instagram page for 12 hours a day? How would my personality change throughout, like, throughout life? You know, like, you, 
in just like common sense, you would think it must change at least slightly. And I don't know if there's been a research study on that specific thing of like comparing people who look at different explore feeds. I don't know how you would control for like uh, giving them a specific explore feed or whatever, but you could do uh, some kind of research on things similar to that. So, um, but yeah, like think about how we think our behavior is ours, but we forget that our behavior is actually very dependent on what we're taking in. So if I'm taking in that certain explore feed or those certain posts on Instagram, how am I going to turn out? You know, if I'm in this environment, if I go to a private school compared to if I go to a school in the inner city that has no funding, I mean, what am I going to, how am I going to turn out? You know, environment plays a huge role in, um, and how we develop. And the reason for that is because the environment changes our brain. The, the way it changes our brain is that, um, for instance, learning, the way we learn, when you have a memory of something, what do you think that is? Do you think that it's just coming out of thin air? No. A memory is essentially um, when input comes in and it activates your uh, your neurons and your nervous system, then it actually, at the synapse, which is where two neurons can communicate, there are differences in uh, chemicals after that. There are different new synapses can form. Different synapses can connect to different other ones. So that's how your brain is changing when, um, when you're learning something or when you're taking stuff into the environment and from the environment. So then when you remember something, those new synapses that formed or that those new connections or those new pathways or those, those new... Um, neurotransmitter, uh, I guess you could say concentrations or in different synapses, those get reactivated. The same pathways get reactivated. Um, so there was a great experiment with uh, learning in different environments on how uh, memory can be altered based on the environment you learn in. So um, forgive me if I don't remember the exacts. Um, exact like process and exact results of the study but basically the gist of it is that one group of uh, participants learned something again I don't know the exact study I can't even remember the researcher at the moment but one group uh, learned something underwater while scuba diving one group learned things while they were above ground I don't know where but they were above ground they were learning the same texts you know now when that test was done underwater guess what? The scuba divers, they, they had greater recall on that, the same material, but just because they were in that environment when they were learning, they had a greater recall for the same text that people above ground were learning. So the, the rate was like so vastly different. And the reason it was different was because when you're underwater, when you're learning, you're not actually just learning like that textbook or whatever it was that they were learning. Obviously, maybe it couldn't have been a textbook because how would that work underwater? But whatever they were learning, um, whatever you're learning, it, it doesn't just um, modulate your brain for what you're learning. The environment's also modulating your brain too. So when you go um, underwater, it's kind of actually reactivating those same pathways as when you learned that book or whatever. So... Um, so basically what's happening is that when you're underwater, you have a heightened memory for what you were learning because there's more activation in those similar pathways than if you were above ground and trying to recall the same thing underwater. So it's like a spreading activation, um, as they like to call it. And, um, and that's the same way for when you, um, for instance, I know this is a tangent, but it will all um, 
come back around in a second. So it's the same thing for when um, you smell a certain thing. And guess what? It takes you back to that moment that you smelled that. Or, for instance, if you have an ex and you smell her same fragrance or his same fragrance that they were wearing, it takes you back right away to like a specific moment you had with them maybe. And that's because when your brain gets activated from the scent, the same pathway is activated when you were present with them. So it's like a spreading activation because your your uh, brain was changed, not just to the smell when you first smelled it on her or him, um, but also to the environment around you. So when you, um, when you smell that, you remember, oh my gosh, it just took me back to that specific moment. Now, I don't know, know if it works vice versa. If you go into that environment, maybe like a, when you're on your first date with them, could you remember that smell? For me, my olfactory sense, I don't seem to remember smells quite as well, I've realized, as sights. But maybe it could go the other way. I wouldn't be surprised if it does because the brain is modulated not just to one specific thing, but to things around it as well. Um, so, <laughs> I gotta remember how this all ties in. So, um, okay, this is how it ties in. So, the, the way it ties in is that when you are on, for instance, Instagram, and when you're on a certain explore feed, and when you're taking certain things into your mind, and you're taking things into, obviously, your brain is, is being modulated. Every single time you absorb something, your brain is changing. So, when you take these specific things in, your brain is going to change and adhere, not adhere, but it's going to change based on what you took in. So, if you're not careful with what you're absorbing, your brain is going to become a certain way that you might not be so happy about. Now, imagine if, for instance, every single day you're taking in uh, terrible content, you think you're going to become like some uh, some intellectual or, or, or you're going to accomplish anything in life? No, because your brain is going to change to... Um, to enjoy, maybe enjoy that content, or it's it's only going to take in these things, and you're not going to learn. That's why you need good education. You need to put yourself in a good environment to learn, to uh, learn to think critically, to learn to understand different things, to learn to be open-minded, see things from different perspectives, because that becomes you now. When you are an op in an open-minded environment, now that kind of wears off on you. You become open-minded. Your brain changes to become like that. And then that's how you develop. That's how you learn. And it's all happening in your brain. So with Instagram, with Twitter, with Facebook, we must be careful with what we're taking into our minds because that changes you. And then that change that's made to your brain influences your subsequent behavior. So that's why we must be careful with what we're taking into our minds. And when something is so arbitrary as like an explore feed, um, that can become an issue because then it's like forcing upon us a, a different mind. It's literally feeding us a different mind every single time we see that. So it's not to say that this is all bad in any way, but just make sure to be weary of what you're taking in because um, when you realize how arbitrary um, it is, uh, the things that you're being fed, um, then you'll realize that maybe I shouldn't spend all my time on something that's feeding me stuff that may go against what I, my will or what I truly could be taking in. Use social media more as a, uh, as a tool to enhance your mind. It, it take in, um, now again, this is podcast is not meant to be you know, some kind of a, uh, like a preachy type of thing or, um, 
or thing to try to make people do certain stuff. But that's just my perspective. Um, make sure you're understanding what you're taking into your mind. Educate your mind. Uh, learn and uh, just just understand that uh, spending all day on, on on things that are feeding you arbitrary content may not be the best thing. You know, if it gives you great enjoyment, continue. But uh, it's just good to be weary about that. I think. Um, all that set aside, let's continue. <laughs> okay, uh, so for instance, like, uh, so one thing about Instagram is that it show uh, Instagram again. I know it, it shows people only at their best. So why is that? I mean, obviously, I think the reason for that is because we are reinforced for posting what looks best um, when we're at our best. If we post ourselves looking horrible it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a bit mean, but you're not going to get as many likes and everybody knows that. And, uh, you know, so that is what causes people to have these insecurities and to take 50 photos, delete 49 and post the best one. I know we're all guilty of that. <laughs> some people more than others, some people may take uh, five and some people may take 200, who knows? But, uh, it's very interesting that it, it's reinforcing us for only putting our best self out there. So we have to be aware of that, that what we're seeing on Instagram is not the real world. That's people at their very best. We don't see them in all of their, um, <laughs> their trials, tribulations, their hardships. And, uh, and that can cause issues though, because when people, when you think that everything is roses and then your life isn't so good, then you're like, wait a minute why why am i not like up to the same standard and then maybe that could cause you a little bit of anxiety because you see all the people who seem to be doing so well and then here you are like you're having a bad day and it's like wait like man and then maybe you could be hard on yourself like i don't know um, but that's just kind of what i put there and uh yeah i think that it, that is very interesting that it's reinforcing us to show us at our best our best only and that's what will give you the most reinforcement that's what will give you the most likes um what i also put here which i kind of thought about was that if you never saw another person in your life you wouldn't be insecure about anything <laughs> if you never saw another person there would be nothing to be insecure about because that's just what you think is the norm and that's okay it's okay to have imperfections and uh and things like this because they're not even imperfect anymore you are perfect because that's just that's just what a human is, right? Obviously, this scenario is so um, far-fetched, but this kind of goes to show, like, if you take it uh, to the other end of the spectrum and you look at, um, like, the overconnectedness that is stimulated by, like, uh, the Instagrams and the Twitters and whatever, um, maybe that's kind of causing more insecurity. Maybe insecurity is, like, rising with how connected you are because kind of as you go, if you're connected with zero people, probably not going to be insecure about anything or definitely not it's a hard thought experiment because it's just so outlandish but that's just the norm but if you're connected with like a million people that are posting like amazing photos of themselves then it causes you to be insecure because every single thing you're seeing is like oh my gosh they have a everything is so perfect oh, their skin their body is so um it's so perfect like you know so that can like cause people to be insecure about things and that overconnectedness that you see on social media i think has a role to play and it has a hand in this 
these these insecurities that we feel so um this again needs to be seriously researched a little more in terms of does this overconnectedness stimulate some insecurity in people like check the check people with more followers and less followers and see who's the most insecure or more people they're following and less people they're following and see who's more insecure i don't know if that could work whatever but these are just some ideas that i'm thinking about um if we're so maybe there's an issue with being a bit overconnected and for all the good things that it does bring in certainly entertainment and enjoyment or else we wouldn't use it maybe there are some things that it's causing you to be insecure and you don't know why you're so insecure but maybe it's partly because of these these implicit things that you don't know is causing and changing your behavior and kind of as i mentioned with the brain and how perceptions are changing your your brain and your mind it's like um when you see all these people with no seemingly no flaws then your mind is almost conditioned to just see that as the what looks properly it, like your brain like amalgamates the ideal look and then when you look at yourself you're so far off from that because all you've been seeing is what people are looking like and what people are reinforced to do and the people who look good they're getting the most likes so man this this is why i'm kind of just having these insights kind of as we go but um it's so incredible it's just uh it's very mind-boggling that this we don't understand that excuse me what we're doing and and the uh information we're taking in on social media it's changing our behavior without us knowing it so let's just think that that could be playing a role and i'm not here to say that i have all the answers at all about that's the only reason people are insecure or whatever i mean for all we know maybe if you're just in a large social group that's not even on instagram um and you're just like with a lot of people around you and they're getting reinforced and praised for looking good i mean maybe you'll be insecure too if you're the yanomama people or in the amazonian tribe who don't have instagram maybe you're still gonna feel some insecurity Again, that could be a research study. Uh, Yanomamo tribe versus the Westerner. See who's more insecure. There's a lot of ideas about this, but let's continue here. And let's stop getting off track. Um, now, another thing that... No, those are kind of just general observations, and this is another one, but this is more to do with, like, the ethical side of it. Um, actually, not even the ethical side. This is more to do with, like... Uh, well, I'll just read it. So every action you make is is monitored and seemingly has higher consequences than ever. So, for instance, you look at where a tweet can ruin your career, or um, and, and and data is kept as a reference and then uh, can can be one day overemphasized by people who don't take into account that they too, at an earlier stage, also had some pretty foolish statements as well. They may just not have tweeted it, but the very fact that tweeted it and that you said it now you the receipts are on it and now you could be in trouble so you got to be very weary of what you're putting out there because people keep the receipts and um now this may not be all bad though because like look at um how this could give people a higher standard of the content they're putting out because if i know uh personally that the, that my tweets um, are going to be, they're going to be kept forever by someone, it could be screenshot or whatever, then I'll know that I can't be just putting out horrible, uh, um, horrible things on Twitter. And same with Instagram, whatever. Like, I have to make sure because 
maybe um, people are, are watching what I'm doing. And if I'm going to apply to a job or a university, maybe they're seeing that on my thing. So I have to keep a higher standard of what I'm putting out. And that's just going to lead to um, good things for everyone. Because one, I'm not putting out that bad content and whatever. But two, people don't have to see that uh, egregious content and they can... Uh, and there's a higher standard out there. So maybe this uh, connectedness is allowing for, for people's standard to to put a high, to keep a high standard for the content they're putting out. Now, on the negative end, which I didn't really go in depth about, was um, the issue of when people have the receipts and with the cancel culture or you've been exposed and all these things. This is where it can be troublesome because if you... Because sometimes you don't have the self-awareness to keep that standard of content and to know the standard of content you're putting out. Look at younger kids who now have iPads in their hands as early as pretty much as soon as they can hold something. Parents are giving them the iPad and just to, uh, to distract them while they can go about their day. This happens all the time. And... Uh, I mean, obviously, they're not creating a Twitter account at the age of one or two. But think about at the age of six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Maybe they will create one then. And they don't know what they're putting out into as in the early teenagers, uh, 13, 14. They might not know that they, their people are going to keep receipts on them for life. And there's get, there's this cancel culture. And if I put out one bad thing, it's gonna, it could be exposed later in life. They don't have that self-awareness yet. We... We kind of, um, like, you know, if, if you if you don't have that self-awareness, how are you going to know not to put that out and to put that tweet out? So that's kind of that's kind of an issue with people who don't have the self-awareness to know this, to um, to be conscious of the, to be conscious of what they're putting out. And uh, that could lead to issues in the future. So I feel for them who maybe their career could... Um, could uh, could be destroyed due to a problematic tweet they put out when they were just a young kid. And, um, yeah. So, <laughs> one thing I put here was, uh, I already, I, it's actually funny how in the same episode I was already talking about LeBron on a tangent. Now I have a note about him. LeBron does something called Zero, Zero Dark Thirty, where when the playoffs start, he's off social media. He's off everything. Now, for people who watch basketball, you know how well LeBron plays. <laughs> you know how well LeBron plays in the playoffs. So, could this could uh, could being off social media change your your performance? I don't know. But I mean, it's more of I'm just saying. Like when LeBron, when he's uh, when he's off social media, his numbers go up. <laughs> And I don't know if anyone wants to put together some kind of a chart with playoff numbers versus not in playoffs, but who knows if that correlates to being off social media where no one's judging them and there's no looking for reinforcement of others. It's just your own craft. Late nights, early mornings, warming up for the game. You're not posting it. Who knows? Maybe that has an impact. So um, now let's get into some of the addictiveness of social media. So one thing that we all have is is almost like a mental checkbox when we go on social media. So uh, for some, it may be in the morning when they wake up. And for some, it may be at the end of the night where they say, let me check Twitter. Let me check Instagram. Let me scroll all the way down. Let's see all the posts. Let's not miss out on anything. So 
um, it's almost due to this this fear of missing out, FOMO, as as uh, we like to call it today. So you you don't even want to miss that last post. You want to make sure you go all the way down to the bottom of your Instagram feed and see everything there. So it's very addictive that there, and um, there is actually a lot of research in the field that uh, talks about how yes, it is this FOMO that is is causing us to be addicted in a sense because we don't want to miss out on anything. Who knows? Maybe LeBron did a, a great thing tonight, or maybe there's a he- big news about this, or maybe uh, this special person posted something, or maybe they messaged me and oh man, I, I didn't get back to them. So we don't want to miss out, so we constantly like have to keep checking in and keep tabs on it. Um, and it's yeah, it's due to this fear of missing out, or at least that's what the research is starting to tell us. Um, and I know for a lot of people. As, as it is for myself, it's hard sometimes when I get home. Say I haven't been on Instagram all day. <laughs> I mean, this is <laughs> almost kind of over-personal, but it's showing how, uh, my, how addicted I'm admitting I am to Instagram, for instance. Like, it's hard for me to get home after, like, a long day or whatever and not, like, want to go on Instagram and at least refresh my feed and see what's going on. Like, it's almost like I can't just go and, like, sleep that night without, like, at least checking like what has happened in the day and putting a ch- like getting that mental um check mark in my head of all right i've seen everything i've seen all the posts you know and it's it's like i don't want to miss out on anything and i find that's very interesting so um to an even smaller extent we have uh it's like when we have like a checkbox for when we need to make a post uh you know and i bet for some people it's like if i don't make a post it's been a week i haven't made a post i gotta get that off my chest it's like a checkbox in your head so um, there's this there's this addictive nature to it Um, and I'm debating going into the keep kind of going into in depth about this because this has been rambling on for quite a while but I'm just going to continue and we'll see how long it goes if you're still listening thank you actually because um, like I really appreciate you guys sticking with it um whether you're watching or listening, like, thank you for continuing to, to tune in for like kind of more insights or more ideas I have about social media. So, um, this one is, so what I have here is the re so the reason social media is so addictive also is because what it's operating on is a variable reinforcement schedule. So what is a variable reinforcement schedule? So this stems from operant conditioning, which was, uh, widely researched by B.F. Skinner in uh, the mid-20th century. It, w- it was created by, um, by uh, what's his name, Thorndike. I actually have my book right here. Um, I can't remember his uh, first name at the moment. But you, so you don't really need to know that. So Thorndike created this uh, thing called operant conditioning. Skinner was the main researcher for it, and he created all these experiments to determine all the schedules of reinforcement. So operant conditioning is essentially, um, if, if our behavior is going to create a reinforcer, and we're going to be reinforced by doing a behavior, we will do that behavior more. And that's the law of effect that was created by this uh, this pioneer named Thorndike. His last name was Thorndike. Um so if we, it's a pretty simple concept, but now there are different schedules of reinforcement that cause different levels of responding to certain things. Now there's the fixed ratio, the uh, fixed interval, 
the variable interval and the and the variable ratio these are the basic simple reinforcement schedules that were widely researched by skinner in the mid 20th century so each one causes a different level of responding and it's in these moments where I've, it might be uh, valuable to maybe post uh, like a diagram of this on the blog so you guys could follow along just let me know and I'll post it on there but so let's talk about the the reinforcement schedules so there's a fixed reinforcement schedule and again this will all tie into the how social media is addictive because it operates on the, a variable reinforcement schedule but let's start with the fixed reinforcement schedule which is the simplest so um, uh, for, think about a factory job so a factory job, or maybe not today, but you do 100 boxes, you get $10. So there's a fixed amount of things that you do. And if you do this certain amount of things, you get this reinforcer. It's a fixed ratio of reinforcement. This causes a medium level of responding. You know, you do want to go pretty quickly. You want to do those 100 bucks because you know you're going to get that 10 bucks. But there's nothing really incentivizing you to work at an like, extremely fast rate. Um, because you know as soon as you do the 100, you're going to get the 10 bucks. So it causes like pretty steady responding. A lot of this research was done in rats. Um, by B.F. Skinner, and that's how we know about these schedules of reinforcement, but it does um, greatly apply to humans, as in the factory job. Now, a fixed interval causes a little bit less responding. A fixed interval is based on time. Think about sitting at a bus stop. You know the bus comes at uh, 6 p.m., 6.20, 6.40, whatever. If you get to the bus stop at uh, 6.10, and the bus comes at 6.20, are you going to be looking... Uh, to the bus, uh, see if the bus is coming right at 610. Like, oh, where's the bus? No, your, your responding is going to go up as it approaches 620. So this is called a fixed interval. The bus, it doesn't matter how much you look, and I look down the street, the bus is going to come at 620. So that's why it doesn't incentivize you to respond a lot, because it doesn't matter if I look a million times, the bus is going to come at 620. So you see the curve? Maybe I should put the graphs, but for the people who are listening, the curve is almost like um, an exponential curve because as it gets closer to that interval of time, uh, 620, you, you won't, you're going to respond a little bit more or quite a bit more because it's exponential. So um, there's with a bus, with a fixed interval, there's low responding until it's almost at that interval of time, 620 when the bus comes. Um, now there's the variable interval. Now, this causes the lowest responding. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the variable interval is like um, mail. You don't know when mail's coming. You have no idea, but it is based on the time schedule. It's an interval of time, but you have no idea when or what you're going to get in the mail. And the mailman's going to come regardless. And it doesn't matter how many times I check the mailbox and I respond. That's my uh, behavior that I respond to. Um... The mail guy is going to come and he's going to deliver it. Um, so that causes the lowest level of responding because it doesn't matter if I check a million times or if I just check once. He's going to come on his own schedule, his own time, and it doesn't matter what I do. So that's not going to cause a lot of responding. Now here we come to social media where it's a variable reinforcement schedule. So the reason it is a variable reinforcement schedule, let's first talk about gambling. And this is why it's so addictive, because gambling, what's happening is that um, when you are, you have no idea 
how many clicks or how many presses on that slot machine it's going to take before you win the $10,000 or whatever. It could be the next one or it could be a thousand away, but you don't know that. The, it's a variable ratio of reinforcement. So you do not understand, you do not know um, at what point the reinforcer is going to come. So you just keep clicking because the next one could be 10,000 or maybe the next one, or maybe it's the next one. So that's what causes the most responding. And that is exactly what neuroscientists and psychologists mm, at Facebook or, or at, at Instagram, who obviously is owned by Facebook, have created. They've created a variable reinforcement schedule that causes us to respond maximally to, uh, to the, the service. So what's happening? This is what I wrote here. So this is why it's variable reinforcement. Because when we refresh our feed, we may or may not get that dopamine influx uh, due to a post of, for instance, an attractive girl or an amazing highlight. Every time you enter the app, there is that chance of hitting that mini jackpot of that amazing reinforcer every time. Sometimes it'll be dry and that that when you give that big give that refresh at the end of the day and all the posts are ready to go, it might be a little bit dry, but on that off chance, there will be that post that makes you hardly be able to resist liking it. And that's the variable reinforcement schedule. And these these um people at these these companies, they understand that because what they're doing is that when you refresh it, they put your, they don't put it based on time anymore. Um, they don't put it based on when people posted. It used to be like that until more people started to understand and more of their researchers started to say, let's implement this. So when you refresh, what is, what you are most likely to like is what comes up first. I don't know if anyone's noticed that, but that's what it is now. And it's, that's the algorithm that's fed that to you based on what a lot of people have liked, what you've liked in the past. It looks at your behaviors. And that is exactly what you're seeing on that first post. That's why you get that little rush when you haven't been on your phone. Imagine if you hadn't been on your phone in a month and you refreshed it. <laughs> Imagine how crazy that first post would be because it's, it's a variable. You don't know what the post is going to be, but you just know, like, if I check it, I'm going to be like, you're going to be blown away. So it's a variable reinforcement. You don't know. You just know there's going to be a huge rush um, at some point. And the more you check it, the more you're going to get that rush. But it's variable. And that's why it's addictive. It's just like gambling. You're refreshing. And I'm not saying people are sitting around refreshing their social media all day. Maybe people are. But that's why it's, it's so addictive. Um, I may make another episode just on these reinforcement schedules because i mean i don't even know if people are still listening at this point uh it's almost an hour in and i was not expecting to go this long but i mean i think this is a uh, very interesting thing that i think i could make a little bit more bite-sized just uh like as a separate episode so like everyone can just like see it right away because i've probably lost quite a few people by now but that's why it's so addictive so um, again, I, I, and I'll sum this up now, I guess, and this is perfect because we're just about to get to the hour mark, and uh, I think that's reasonable for for an episode length. So, uh, guys, like technology, it influences our minds so greatly, you know. Um, as I mentioned, the brain changes based on the environment, and our synapses are modulated due to environmental stimuli. <laughs> I was going to say another, um, a whole other study about how our brain changes to the environment and research with cats and Hubo and Weasel. I'm not going to do that right now. We're going to do another episode on that, and I'll make a note of that. So we will uh, we'll do an episode on that 
about how much yeah that's what we'll do we'll do an episode on how much our brain is modulated due to the environment that's just going to be one episode but for now let's wrap this one up so the brain changes so much to the environment you know so social media companies for instance are paid to portray something a certain way um it, it it's seriously changing the way we think so we gotta understand that well again i already mentioned this what we're taking in is changing our minds so be weary of what you're taking in guys um and uh, even and now we'll get into kind of the ethical stuff, and I will wrap this up soon. It's, we're starting to reach that scary point where our data it's being mined and it's being used against us, guys. Also, and uh, if, if if not just to be weary of what you're taking in, this is a good reason to to be weary of being active on these platforms because our our data is being taken, just like the loading symbol that loads up when. Um, when we like the photo and it understands what we like now our data is being 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 used guys and so the best example of this is cambridge analytica so what happened here was that cambridge analytica this was during the um i can't even remember when the election was now and it seems like time's been going by so quickly but uh during the election uh trump versus hillary cambridge analytica and guys forgive me if i get any of these details wrong just let me know, comment. But Cambridge Analytica harvested the personal data of millions, as a matter of fact, 220 million U.S. citizens using 5,000 separate data sets um, without their consent on Facebook, and they used it for political advertising purposes. So these people, they thought they were just filling out a questionnaire. But when they were filling out this questionnaire on Facebook, actually, this data was being used against them to feed back ads at them based on uh, what they, if they were going to be impressionable people. Um, so basically, uh, it used them to create, it used these 220 million, uh, million American citizens to create these data sets to send back targeted ads to these voters who had profiles um, that showed they were more likely to be influenced. So if it, if it took in the fact that you were more likely to be influenced during the election, it would feed you certain ads and it was actually changing your behavior and it was swaying you or, or it was taking people who were on the fence and it was pushing them to a certain direction. Now, what was what was very um, what was said recently on uh, the Sam Harris podcast? This, this is a great episode of uh, Sam Harris with I can't remember his name now, and I apologize for that. But the guest was saying that our data has become a commodity that we did not know was so valuable until it was too late, guys. And uh, our data that we are we are um, we're giving to these companies, and this is why these companies are so big now because we have consented to give them our personal data and to monitor us and do these things. And now it's allowing these people, these tech, these tech companies, to become giants. And uh, it's all because our data is valuable, guys, and we are we are um, giving this up to them. And it's nothing to be sad about. That's the reality now, and that's the way. Um, things are in, in 2020 but um it's it's a commodity and they make money off of our data and selling it uh to advertisers if they can mine a lot of data then advertisers are gonna want to advertise on their site because then they know exactly who we can target our ad to it's very scary sometimes guys i mean uh, one time i was talking about uh maynard's sour patch kids i'm, I'm not joking about this i just was talking about it to someone i think we had some in the office or whatever and i was just saying oh these are good main like main what are these maynard's or whatever i said maynard's our patch kids about an hour later 
why was there an ad for Maynard Sour Patch Kids? I mean, what kind of random thing is that? You know, I didn't, I didn't write that in my phone. I said it. So, and this I know has happened to a lot of people, and it's something just to to understand that uh, it's happening. And it could be a coincidence, guys, but it's happened to me. I, I can't remember all the examples or times it's happened to me, but it's happening, and our data is valuable, and that's uh, part of social media these days. So that that ends the analysis of uh, social media and and its effects and uh, what's happening what's happening with it. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I know I was I was rambling on. I was going off track. I'm just checking the recording here. We've just reached an hour. Thank you guys <clears throat> for listening all the way through this and um, for taking whatever information you wanted out of this because I really do appreciate you guys. Again, I mean, Insightful Thinkers Podcast number three. You guys have been watching from the start. You guys are the... I mean, when, when I... Like later, when we look back and we say, you guys will be able to say, you guys are watching from the start, whatever that's worth to you. Um, there it is. And it's worth a lot to me. Because, I mean, even if it's five people, 10 people, 50, 100 people downloading the thing, I mean, it's it's making some kind of an impact. And it, you guys are here from the start. Thank you for that. I, I can't tell you how much uh, I value that. And uh, what and kind of the... Um, the action, uh, the, let's initiate the action of sharing it with two people, and let's keep this thing growing, let's get more people to uh, listen to this podcast, let's get more people liking it, and, and hearing it, and, and listening, and sharing their ideas, and let's get this, um, let's get these ideas shared, you know, I can't, I'm not just going to be like a fountain of ideas, <laughs> I mean, you know, and I only have so much time to develop these things. So we need that feedback. We need that communication, guys. We need that community. And don't worry, like, don't worry. I've got plenty of ideas, you know, that I could I could just be sharing or whatever. But it's got to, it, we need that community. We need that community to, um, to share their ideas and to create conversations and create dialogues, guys. Let's create insightful dialogue. Let's keep going. Let's keep... Uh, having in-depth analyses into these things, let's be critical thinkers, and let's keep going, and uh, let's share this. Uh, thank you guys for watching, and uh, I'll stop rambling on now. Inside Flingers podcast number three, social media analysis. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>